Hey there, AJ Cordero here, a co-host on the Hockey Flow. I've been podcasting since 2007, and I've seen many changes over the years. But the best one has been the introduction of Anchor. And here's why. It's because it's easy and it's free. Seriously, I've spent so much time, money, and effort to get something at this level back in the day. Now, with a push of a few buttons, all that time, money, and energy are spent producing the show rather than distributing it. Now, you might not think you need a podcast, and hey, maybe you don't. But don't think of a podcast just as a way to get your news, sports, and entertainment fixes. It can be a way to tell your family's stories, shine a light on your hobbies and communities, go in-depth for a love of your team, or discuss how to change the world. The possibilities are limitless. Anchor provides creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They also distribute your podcast so you can be heard on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and every player that supports an RSS feed. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum requirement on the size of your audience. Don't waste a second. Download the free Anchor app on your smartphone today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it. Seriously. The world is waiting to hear your story. This is the Hockey Flow. It's an amazing new show with Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher bringing you the best and the brightest in the NHL world. Today is Wednesday, September the 2nd, although you're most likely going to get this on Friday, September the 4th. We hope you're doing okay. My name is AJ Cordero. I work the board in the background, but who cares about that? Let's get to the hockey. And so first of all, I have to mention, you can find Adam's work at ReallyAdamB on Twitter. So that's Adam Boucher. You can find him on Twitter right there. And of course, you can find Marco D'Amico at ScrimmageAndStats.com. Go check that out. There's an amazing mock draft uh, put up together with incredibly detailed analysis that you would have to usually pay the Black Book guys to pay get. Instead, you can just go and check out Marco's website for free. So, scribbageandstats.com. And of course, you can always chirp him on Twitter at the Hockey Expert. Where are we going first, boys? What are you thinking? Where do we want to take this? Let's see. Um, well, we can definitely look at the series that have been ongoing. I know there's one that's over. Uh, two were elimination games yesterday that didn't end in eliminations. So I, I think we could start with the series that's already over. Tampa Bay versus Boston. I think that makes many people happy. It makes me happy for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm happy. I think it's uh I think it's fun. I thought it was super impressive though, like I, I will say. Um Tampa Bay has been without Steven Stamkos during this entire time. Entire time. Their number one center has been out. So who's really picked up the slack? Well that would be Braden Point. Uh, and I think that he was instrumental in that series, scored the overtime goal. Um, not the one in game four, obviously, but um, he's, he scored a few daggers um, and really elevated his game. Uh, but what was really interesting to me, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but in game four, Tampa Bay was without both Stamkos and Kucherov and still managed to beat Boston in overtime with Boston having its full team. I found it then ironic that Boston blamed its losses on the fact that they had COVID-19 cases <laughs> during the phase three of uh, the NHL uh, return to play. It's like, well, no, not not just Boston had had COVID-19 cases. We know this for a fact. Uh, in fact, the Montreal Canadiens were the only team to be outed uh, in the athletic as having uh, COVID-19 cases. So no one's bl- blaming COVID on uh on losing in Montreal, nobody should blame it uh, in Boston or St. Louis. Yeah, and and on my end, I think the X factor for for that series for Tampa Bay was uh, Andre Palat, who scored five goals and two assists. I mean, and two of them were two were game winning goals. So I think someone elevated his game, and 
for arguably what playing second, third line. I think he's on the second yeah. line now. Um, yeah, I think this. We really saw the support players, more the support players uh, on Tampa Bay outplay the ones for Boston, which was a, as we know, a very top-heavy line uh, line team, right? Yeah, I I also enjoyed watching. Um, and you guys tell me what you thought, but I really enjoyed watching that fourth line of Gord, Goudreau, um, and Coleman. I thought they, they those guys were all over the place. They really. They really were able to control the pace, the tempo. Um, I think that what we saw today was in an event where players are injured, Tampa Bay can still count on a guy like uh, Goudreau or Coleman, but especially Gord uh, to take to be inserted at center, which is a pretty big deal considering what's coming up this summer for Tampa Bay, uh, but also perform. Uh, to the worth of his contract. And I think he did that in this series. So big props to the fourth line, uh, especially Yanni Gord. Um, I think a lot of people, and I think this needs to be addressed, I think a lot of people are pointing the finger at Tuka Rask. With all the fact that Boston lost and feels like he abandoned his team. Um, I do have, I, I look, I can see the sentiment if you're a 14-year-old girl, uh, but this is the real world, folks. Uh, he left for his family. Uh, and I would rather abandon my team than my family. I think that says more about a man than anything else. And Boston themselves supported that decision. So anybody's still kind of questioning Tuka Rask's wherewithal, love of the game, or ethics, um, I don't know. Have a medical emergency with your kids, see what happens. Because you'll be singing a fine tune. And those that don't have kids, man, it. you have no say. I don't. I think. I think Boston Bruins fans are looking for excuses. Obviously, uh, we know from past experiences that they seek comfort uh, whenever they lose a playoff series. I'll take you back to 2014 when Montreal beat Boston, and Pornhub's uh, spiking rate, uh, traffic uh, was led by the Massachusetts area. So, this is just not one of them. Tuka Rask is not the reason why Boston lost. We have to keep that into consideration. The reason why Boston lost is because Tampa Bay is a deeper team. Simple as that. Yeah, but I mean, you can't blame Rask at all, but they could have used his goaltending to steal games, right? I don't think, like, Halak had one bad game in my mind, but so did Vasilevsky, and no one's running Vasilevsky out of town. Uh, ultimately, I think that both Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak are products of the fact that they have very strong defensive stalwarts on that team. Brandon Carlos, Dano Chara, Charlie McAvoy. In fact, I'd argue that Tra- that Tori Krug is the only pure offensive defenseman on that team. They're, it's a very tight-knit defensive system. Even Matt Greslick, to a degree, plays a very uh, controlled pace to the game. Most would see him as an offensive defenseman, but he's, you know, he's matured his game, and Cassidy plays a very tight-knit, uh, to-the-extremity game uh, when it comes to his opponents, which is why Tampa Bay had difficulty for most of the series getting into the slot. But when they did, uh, that's where the goaltending didn't hold up, I find. But still, that's simply because Tampa Bay found the Achilles heel of Boston, which is if you get it in deep and you're three-man forecheck, uh, you tend to overload that defense. And when the perfection line isn't on, uh, we've seen that the forward groups isn't aren't exactly prone to coming to assist the defenseman, it's a very much, uh, you know, it goes through the center. So if Patrice Bergeron isn't waiting there in the middle of the slot for a pass for a breakout, um, you know, I saw, I saw David Krejci struggle with that a bit. Uh, Charlie Coyle struggled with that a bit. So things to look at. 
things to look at. I think Boston, uh, I think Boston missed the chance, uh, really to go deep. But again, <laughs> you know, this, uh, the playoff system as we knew it, uh, was always going to pit those two Atlantic teams, uh, sorry, not Atlantic. Is it Atlantic? Yeah, it is Atlantic. Those two Atlantic teams, uh, against each other, um, the only thing is, at least, you know, no one's complaining about the playoff format right now. Obviously, if Toronto were playing Tampa Bay, we'd be hearing different stories. And now we can save that debate for the playoff format for another day. Let's get the playoffs through, and then we can start debating this. But I think we should move to another series, which is taking place tonight between the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, only one do- game in the docket, really, for tonight. But if it's anything like the rest of the series, it's going to be high-scoring action. Um, I think a lot of people had this, uh, the, uh, the Avs, like, set as their pick to win the Stanley Cup this year, in fact. Um, but they're going to be fighting for their lives in this Game 6, and it looks like the Stars might be the first Western team to clinch their spot. I'm going to throw it over to you, Adam. What are, what are the key takeaways that we should be looking for in tonight's game? After last game, or last game, actually, I had Dallas just winning in, in 5, and you saw Colorado just explode for 5 goals in the first period of Game 5, which is absolutely crazy. And all of that while playing uh, with Michael Hutchison in Nets, right? Saw Grubauer, we saw, or Pavel Frankus. Yeah, well, we saw him getting injured as well, right? He's unfit to play. Um, then we saw Bishop returning in Nets for Dallas, which didn't go as planned. Um, I think they, I'm not sure if they announced the goalies, but I think uh, no, they I didn't. think you have to go back with Kudobin at that point. Uh, and I, I have to agree with AJ what you said. I think Dallas is going to put their ticket to the conference finals tonight. I think this is going to Game Seven, and we'll people listening will know who's I was, I, right for off air for all of us that were not because we're only an audio podcast. I was I was cheering. Adam was cheering, and then Marco started talking. We all get oh, <laughs> sorry guys. I don't think there's uh I don't think there's a, a realm of possibility that Nathan McKinnon doesn't come out like a monster tonight. Um, so whenever Nathan McKinnon wants to take over a game, uh, it's about weathering the storm, I find. Um, however, I think what this playoffs has done has exposed the egregious lack of competent 1B or organizational depth of goaltenders uh, when it comes to the Colorado Avalanche. I know that they were... Um, looking to bolster goalies. And a lot of talk is that if they are eliminated from this series, they would be definitely looking uh, at, you know, a 1B situation. Someone like uh, a Matt Murray, someone like a uh, an Anderson, you know, a, a young or signed goaltender that can really come and play one and two uh, with Grubauer, who's not signed for too much. Because right now we see the moment Grubauer goes down, they don't have steady goaltending. And that's going to cost them. Same thing is applied to... You, you see the difference. You see you see the flip side going on right now with Dallas. Who's leading Dallas? Their backup, right? Because Bishop was injured, came back, blew a... I don't know what the heck happened with those goals. Uh, and they put Kudubin back in, and he looked great. It's just, you know, ultimately depth of that position is what's needed. And I, I think the Montreal Canadiens fans can agree. I think putting all your eggs in one basket, you need that second guy that can come in and take relief. And right now, we've seen that through the playoffs, that that kind of system has worked. Um, 
Tampa Bay fortunately hasn't had to do that. But if you look at Dallas, they've had to do that. Uh, Vegas has had to do that with Leonard and, and Marc-Andre Fleury, which we'll get to. Uh, Markstrom and Thatcher Demko have done it as well now. And we've seen, we're going to get to that as well. Because again, we see the teams that are successful are teams that can bring out a fresh goaltender. If the other one doesn't do well, they can perform as good, if not And better. even the, the uh-huh. Islanders, they, they brought out Grace for a back-to-back and he won the game. Exactly. So. Exactly. So that's, I think, what's going on. And I think that win or lose, I think that's something Colorado is going to have to address this summer. So let's move over to another series right now. Let's talk about, I guess, the Canucks. My Canucks. I, I don't know why I'm saying my Canucks, but I guess they're, they're the only Canadian team left that I'm trying to root for and pull for at this point. But ah, they're three. They're forcing a three. Uh, they're forcing a game six. Doesn't look likely though. Uh, I'm gonna throw it over to Marco. Break the bubble here. What am I? How badly is this gonna go? Uh, it really depends. Um... I can't say that Vegas is going to win. Vegas had a 3-1 lead versus San Jose Sharks last year and lost. Right? Yeah, that's true. So, you know, do... do I mean, they do have elite... I, mean, I can't deny it, they have elite forwards, and absolutely, Quinn Hughes has been a star on the blue line for them. So, that is a major... absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's just been absolutely a huge... But Vegas thing. has been its best when they've applied pressure to Quinn Hughes. They weren't applying pl- pressure to Quinn Hughes last night. Qu- Quinn Hughes was applying pressure. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. The less amount of time Quinn Hughes is chasing a puck in his zone, the faster it's in your end. And I feel like Vegas got away from that. I did like the fact that although they brought in rookie Thatcher Demko uh, instead of Markstrom to play, uh, I think it's like the fifth best performance in terms of say, a number of saves for a rookie uh, in the playoffs. In the history of the league, I found that really cool. Um, I did like the fact that he was peppered a lot early on. I felt like he built confidence that way. At one point, I think Vegas had like double the shots, um, but they—I felt like Vegas was being kept to the outside for once, which was nice to see. Um, but I, I think in the end, what you're going to see is in those tight games. This is when an Elias Pettersson, uh, this is when a Tyler Toffoli, this is when a Brock Besser uh, becomes extremely valuable. Uh, in timely goals uh, whilst playing responsible hockey. And I think that's the only way that Vancouver, given its defensive limitations, um, not exactly the sturdiest of, of blue lines, that's the only way they're going to be able to counter an offensive powerhouse like Vegas. And yeah, and, and you saw Vegas just outshoot them 43-17, right? So just an onslaught. It's absolutely crazy. So that's why I think... I, and it, yeah, go ahead, Marco. And it's it's 14 high-danger chances, too. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty like that's that's a lot in one game. So it's not like Thatcher Demko is being treated like say Carter Hart, who faces a small amount of high danger chances per game because of how well Philly boxes players out. Problem is Philly doesn't score many goals except for last night uh, in front of him, um, which we'll get to. But it, it shows you the difference in style. And what really did the difference for Vancouver tonight was not their offensive high tempo transitional play but it's because they finally started boxing in the neutral zone. And that is where Vancouver will have success against Vegas because if Vegas doesn't get its flow going, if Vegas can't get to the neutral zone, dump pucks in deep and have their wingers beat the defensemen to them, they're going to be less effective on the forecheck and they do a two-man forecheck. So obviously, if you're going back the other way, it's a four-on-three. Yeah, and I think if, look, if the Canucks have any chance of, of forcing a game seven, they... I don't think they can rely again on Demko or Markstrom getting 42 saves. 
they they That's have it. to be better offensively and they have to look they, they even if you double their their last game shot total they don't even come close to vegas i'm like eight shots short crazy especially with the offense they're 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 running with um yeah i think they have to be way better offensively if they want game seven no like i i and i agree i think that right now things will things will help um i think they need to move forward from this um sorry there's a trade to announce Okay, well, Breaking we'll get there. Let's finish the series and we'll go. We'll go right to it. Okay, it's Montreal. Yeah. Let's oh go. no, no, no. <laughs> okay. The Montreal Canadiens have acquired Jake Allen from the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Jake Allen and a seventh round pick in 2022 from the St. Louis Blues for a third round pick and a seventh round pick. Whoa, goalie! Just talking about goalie depth, right? There's your backup yeah. for Carey Price. There's your backup for Carey Price. Exactly. Yeah. Carey here first, huh? No kidding. Well, I mean, you'll hear this on Friday, so you won't hear it. But, uh, but I mean, that's that's good. Good. I, this is a Bergevin move. It's like it's just very very smart. Yeah, he essentially got a third take on Jake Allen. Yeah, uh, I think it's this is really good. Um, I mean, he didn't play that much last year, did he? I mean, he's thirty years old. I think old, he's a more mistaken. than capable by, backup for Carey Price. I think this is this is pretty solid value. Um, Jake Allen has a four point one, I think, uh, cap hit. But again, what was it going to cost you on the free free agent market? Right, probably two to three point five. You get a guy like, and, and again, he's also a. It's his last year of the contract. So before people get upset, it's it's four million dollars for one four point three, yeah. four point three for one year. So and then Primo can take his place, right? I mean, that's Pardon? it. Primo can take his place. So this seems like a very good move. And they got an extra pick out of that. Out of that. Got him for a third. This is a win. It's a win for St. Louis too. Not a bad. Yeah, I think this is. I think this helps both teams. I think fans might be a little upset that more was not received. Uh, Maybe a third may be deemed too low. Um, The Canadians now have fifteen picks. Sorry, correction. The Canadians now have sixteen picks in twenty (laughs) twenty. They now have a first, three seconds, three thirds, three fourths, two fifths. No sixth and two sevenths. So the, uh, this this trade went down ten minutes ago, so approximately twelve ten. Yeah, and I you can already is... see the Twitter uh, just Twitter sphere just going crazy about the cap hit, and I'm just like, well, it's one year, we can afford it, especially Montreal. But yep. whatever. No, I think, uh, and, I, and initially, I think everybody is on board with this. I think this is a phenomenal deal. I think this is where Montreal is going to be able to flex its cap muscles. And this is the type of move that will not hurt Montreal moving forward because either Primo is ready to be a backup next year or or you can bring in, you can re-sign him a short-term contract. Or even um, he could be picked up by um, if Seattle's expansion, right? I mean, yes, potentially. If, if, if extended. Yeah. Uh, but again, this just helps Montreal give Primo more time. Um, the only question I have for Canadians fans is, what does this mean for Charlie Lindgren? I think the writing's on the wall. I think Hello, Charlie darkness, my old friend. Exactly. I think Charlie Lindgren is gone. Trade bait. Um, but the real... Stanley Cup winner, Jake Allen. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The real question yeah. is now, uh, you saw Bennington just struggle in, in those playoffs, right? Now... I th- yeah, you're exactly yeah. thinking Now exactly he has to be I'm the thinking. guy in St. Louis. Right. And he, it's his contract yeah. year. 
So time to perform. You know, the, the Blues can turn around the year after and not qualify him and go after a, a big fish in net. You know, it's still yeah. possible. It's going to be interesting to see next year for the Blues. Okay, so uh, we the breaking trade aside, let's go jump back to our playoff picture right now. And I guess we have to let's move to the this my, what has rapidly become my favorite series, which is the Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, this has been going back and forth. Game six has been forced by the Flyers. Uh, we can nickname this series, I guess, the Big Boy Pants series uh, after Alan Vigneault's comments earlier in the week. But uh, I'm going to throw it over to Marco. What is the key takeaway? Uh, I mean, overtime seems to be where the Flyers seem to draw the most blood, although they gave up goals that really should have they should have held on to and they shouldn't have had to go to overtime in the first place. And it's happened in two games now in this series. Yeah, well, I, 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 and again, like, I think the Islanders never say die attitude is just a classic Barry Trotz uh, imprint. Uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot and Anthony Bavillier uh, have been phenomenal for, for the Islanders. And I feel like the Islanders are playing the same game against the Flyers that the Montreal Canadiens did. If though, anybody's watching, there is a serious gap. Uh, and if anybody wants to take a look at this, look at the past succession rate between defensemen to forwards. Uh, it's lower than 50%. Why? Because the transitional game between the defensemen and the forwards is not there. Uh, and the reason being is because the forwards are playing too high and the defensemen are playing too low. Uh, so what the only thing that Flyers uh, defensemen are doing are flipping pucks into the air. Now, you guys remember playing against Philly. That's exactly what they would do to try and get the puck out without any danger coming to them whilst you know, potentially getting a, a good bounce uh, and and their teammate being able to go away. So it's not very effective because you more than often lose possession. Uh, it requires more luck than anything else, but it's an easy way when you're just not doing good in a certain aspect to shield that problem. So ultimately, I like, I like what the Islanders are doing. I think Barry Trotz knows what's up. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, though, um, I think the Islanders will take this. I think the Islanders are just better um, all around, uh, better coached, in my opinion. I think Ali Vino has been outcoached twice uh, over the last two series, and it's just, unfortunately, Claude Julien had a heart attack. Or else yeah. I, I don't know how that series between Montreal and Philly would have gone. I think I think a lot of us have that same, have play, played that scenario out in our heads differently. All right, so uh, just for take, before we uh, move on to our next segment, I just want to remind everyone, you can follow us on Twitter at the Hockey Flow. That's D-A-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W. So that's the Hockey Flow. Uh, follow us there. You can get all the latest episodes and discussion that are happening there. You can also get direct links to uh, the Hockey Expert and really Adam B, who are the key people that you're listening to right now. But also you can see and laugh at our predictions because we definitely made some predictions and we were definitely not in the right. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, anyways, let's move over to something completely different now. Let's talk about the rookie scoring record with Mr. McCarr and Hughes and McKinnis and Wesley. Let's go all through it. I'm going to throw this over to you, Marco, because this is your jam. Uh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch that. I was just looking up the statistics for Jake Allen quickly. The, the rookie scoring record. Ah, yes. So the rookie scoring record for defensemen previously held by Glenn Wesley uh, and Al McKinnis uh, was at 14 points. Um, yesterday, Quinn, uh, sorry, the day before, Kale McCarr tied the record uh, for overall points. And yesterday, Quinn Hughes broke the record for assists whilst tying the record with Kale McCarr. Both have 14 points. Um, this is unprecedented in like the history of the NHL that two rookie defensemen are just putting on such an offensive show Um and we really haven't seen this in about 22 years. 
because all those records, if you look at all the records for defenseman rookie scoring, they're all in the late 80s. They're all 88, 87, 89, 91. It's just, it's really good to see. I think we're seeing a resurgence of the offensive defenseman. Um, it's sad that we can't also props uh, Miro Heiskanen, who I believe has been the best defenseman overall in the playoffs. Um, but he's unfortunately not a rookie. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, depends who you're talking about. For the Dallas Stars, probably unfortunately. Uh, but for Miro Heiskanen, probably fortunately, because he going to get paid this summer. Um not that he's a restricted free agent, but he can be re-signed and is probably in Dallas's best interest. Um, I think what Quinn Hughes is doing, I think we've all talked about it. Offensively, I think Quinn Hughes is probably the most composed defenseman uh, in the NHL right now. I think he's got room to grow his offensive game, uh, but I think his elite hockey IQ is great passing, uh, make him a threat. Uh, I find Kale McCarr more implicitly uh, offensive, though. I think he generates more uh, primary scoring than Quinn Hughes. Um, and, you know, I'm going to get yelled at, but I, Kale McCarr has more goals, uh, more primary assists. Um, both are very good at zone entries. I feel like uh, Kale McCarr is more, uh, 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 sorry, uh, Quinn Hughes is better at, at setting up plays, especially on the power play. I feel like Kale McCarr is more of a five-on-five defenseman. Um, both would be on my team tomorrow, quite frankly. I think they're they're excellent. And there's more to come because we have the likes of, uh, you know, in this upcoming draft, there's Jamie Drysdale. But next year, in 2021, uh, there are a plethora of defensemen that are probably going to go top 10 that will emulate what's going on with Hughes and McCarr, one of them being Hughes' brother, Luke. So the third Hughes brother is coming in. Uh, so I think this is a, a golden age of young defensemen for the NHL, similarly to what we saw uh, circa 2010-2012 with the Subans, the Hedmans, the Carlsons. Um, I think we're seeing that wave right now. I have to agree. I mean, uh, Hughes is, has been so key for for Vancouver, on the, especially on the power play. The way you see them, a lot of news the, the way you see him move and just walk the blue line on the power play at just 20 years old, especially in the playoffs. And I really like what Marco said uh, about the resurgence of offensive defensemen. You're seeing Heiskanen's at 20, I think he's 21 year old, years old, uh, getting 18 points in the playoffs. He's leading all defensemen. And then you have those Makar Hughes at, at 14 points. And you even have Shea Theodore at 15 points. A bit older, 25, but you could still argue he's a young offensive defenseman as well. Oh, so, yeah, I really like what I, we've been seeing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think this. Um, I think this is the time, man. I think this is the time. Um, I did want to bring up one other thing. Uh, the search for the new GM in Florida has officially ended as of right now. Uh, so yeah, no, exactly. Everything is happening at once, AJ. It's a good, it's a good day for a good business day, right? Uh, well, you're gonna get you, you're getting all our hot takes right as it comes out. Yeah. So um, right now, from what I'm being told, Bill Zito. Who is the assistant? Uh, who was sorry the assistant general manager in Columbus uh, is now being named the GM uh, of the Florida Panthers. Wow! Uh, yes, right. exactly. So this is going to be pretty interesting because Zito had a lot to do with uh, the drafting and development side uh, with uh, Yarmo Kekalainen in Columbus, and I think they've done a pretty solid job of drafting since Kekalainen's been there. Um, as Wasn't he looked, an agent back in the day? I, I remember Zito being like, like an agent somewhere. Like I, I believe I, so. 
I believe so, but he was he's really good when it comes to the negotiation aspect. But uh, he's the founder of Acme World Sports. Ah, so that right? is the agency. Okay, so exactly. there we go. So player agent, good in negotiations, understands the game. Um, I think he's business first, and I think that'll serve uh, Florida, especially with a few important contracts to renegotiate soon uh, and a clear intent to reduce spending. And also get out of the first round. Yeah, well, I mean, like, oh, come playoffs. on, ninety six, man. That, that's just that's pretty, that's a biz. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess the playoffs, but I mean, Dale Talon had like p- quite a squad, and it still is not fall- happen for them. It's just at this point, you gotta have at least one. So let's go. Anyway, um, I actually want to bring up a separate story that's not even on our list here, but I wanted to bring it up because I I know I was one of the crew that was definitely saying this would never happen. Good luck. Uh, but we did get the results from NHLPR the other day about no positive tests among the 2,800 or so administered tests. Uh, yes, that is a lower number than previous reported because, duh, as playoffs get teams get eliminated, less testing that has to happen. I think it's just, I, I want to say, I spent a few minutes on this for a second. I just think... It's quite impressive that the NHL has managed to got not a single test. And the only time now really that's left is once the actual conference finals happen and they shift everything over to Edmonton. That would be the last time, I guess, we could see uh, a break in the bubble. But kudos to the NHL. I didn't think you could do it, uh, but you're doing it. So this is great. Uh, So anything else you want to add on that, Matt and Marco? No, I think this, uh, I think you pretty much summed it up for me. Um, Sorry, there's a lot coming in, but no, it's um, all right. Yeah, hey, I think you've pretty much summed it up. I think we're all kind of looking at our phones at the moment right now, yeah, just be like, what's, so what's, coming what's, in what's happening? But uh, no, I really appreciate the fact that uh, Florida uh, didn't go the traditional route, didn't find a GM that's been around the block uh, a couple of times already, like uh, Peter Chiarelli, who was rumored to be in the hunt. I think they dodged a bullet there. Um, ultimately, I think this is a good move, but. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see what happens in Florida, especially as early as this draft, because they might be very aggressive, very aggressive in moving players and salary around. All right. So let's talk about Petrangelo. I'm going to throw it over to you, Adam, because you asked for it specifically. Let's go to you. Uh, what's topic D right now? Yeah. So we, we were just talking about it before the episode uh, started, how Petrangelo might be out of St. Louis, right? Um, I was actually just doing my research a bit before the episode 30. He's going to be 30, 31 when next season starts uh, for a 35 to 50 point defenseman. What are we looking at in terms of salary? He was making 6.5 this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what do you think, Marco, on the open market? Is he making upwards of 7.5? Is he making 8? Oh, Is he making a Subban easy, salary easy, at easy. 9 or... And I think he, prior to the pandemic, I think he deserved 10, 12. Because he had arguably his I think best he's, season this year, right? Yeah, like he's the franchise defenseman of the St. Louis Blues. If he leaves St. Louis, that team might as well start rebuilding. Because Pareko's contract comes up in two years. Justin Falk did not have a great season. And they have Vince Dunn and uh, Scott Prunovic uh, that are two young, young, young guys on the left D. So... You know, with with Tarasenko also being out for a while and that shoulder not being up to date, like, this is it. Like, if they want to continue competing, they need to maintain Pichangelo because, quite frankly, if they even let him get to unrestricted free agency, he's going to have 20 offers minimum. So it's it's up to them. I think they took a big step in ensuring that he would stay with the trade that we just broke. Um, I do want to make a correction, though. 
Uh, it is the Montreal Canadiens that gave a third and a seventh for him. Uh, and the Canadiens received uh, the goalie in question and a seventh round pick. So my bad, uh, the Canadians gave a third and a seventh, not acquired a third and a seventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, clear. That's okay. Well, we got it all in the episode episode, and I'm sure by the time people see here in this anyway, they're going to know. But uh, that means it's only 15 instead of 16 picks, right? Correct. Uh, no, it would actually be less because we gave away, um, we gave away a third and a seventh for a seventh in 2022. So we in fact now have 12 picks. Just so good. We'd like them. Still good. But I, I, like, we again, want more. They still have their seconds, so I don't really. I'm happy with it. All right. It's all good. Um, I think Prochangelo is a, a big fish. Another one that we could potentially discuss is Tory Krug in Boston, who potentially played his last game the other night uh, for the Boston Bruins because Boston's got to think of their long term cap structure as well. They got a lot of big names to resign soon, so. Will Tory Krug stay, or will he try to take the payday? And if he does, you know, will he go home to Detroit? Will he go to Michigan? Well, it remains to be seen. I don't know. Like we were talking about, Pachangelo. Would you give Pachangelo ten million dollars in a in a post COVID reality in a flat cap reality? Not ten. I don't think I would give ten. I think I, I think nine yeah. would be fair. Nine nine point five. Nine point five is right where I would settle it. I guess, but. Yeah. We'll see I mean, what, what gives because... if, if you're asking my honest opinion, I would give more to Petrangelo than Krug. Oh, simply because they put out they put out um, arguably the same amount of points, and Petrangelo's way better in his own zone, and he's playing what almost 25 minutes a night. So I I, I would go for Petrangelo before I would go for Krug. Uh, would mm-hmm. I give 10 to one or the other? I don't think so. I think I would give nine, maybe a bit less to crew 8.5. And that's only if, if the team that's giving the offer has a cap space, right? And is in desperate need of one of the defensemen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Doc Emmerich has some big decisions to look at, but I, it's not like he, they don't have plenty of defensemen coming up through their system, right? Um, Marco, mm-hmm. I mean, they have a bunch. I think also you can look at the same franchise, uh, Chara, right? I mean, Zidano has like, has like, he's on the older side. He has mentioned that he wants an extra season potentially, but I don't see it happening. Do you guys see it happening at all? I don't. No, neither do I. I mean, I, I, everyone's talked about his leadership and especially with the amount of young talent coming through Boston's roster. You'd want sort of that leadership to be there, but I don't know. I, I just don't see it. Well, that's my thing. And so I think they're going to try to give the reins to a guy like Charlie McAvoy, who's, in my opinion, already taking over as number one defenseman. The problem is on defense, right? So they have players like Vakanainen, uh, Jiggs Borrell, um, whom they're still kind of waiting on after five years. Uh, I think, right, I, they don't have anybody that can replace what Tory Krug did. I think Matt Greslick plays the same kind of style, but um, now I think it's time... Uh, I think it might be time for Boston to seriously consider either retooling that defense uh, or investing some serious capital into trying to get a defenseman that could fill the void if ever Krug does. That's my issue here. So let's say you lose Krug, you're stuck with Chara and Grizzly on on left D, right? So you need someone to step up and and fill in Krug's shoes right away because he was playing uh, like heavy power play minutes, right? And... I really like what they, they have on the right side in McAvoy, Carlo, and Clifton, but that's a big hole to fill on the left side if ever he chooses to uh, get that big contract in, uh, in free agency. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that whatever way you slice it, uh, free agency as we know it is going to be different. And so we have to kind of prepare ourselves to think a little bit differently when it comes to that. That'd be fun to see. Any thoughts on Tuka Rask at all? Because, I mean, obviously he withdrew from the bubble because of the family emergency, but there's it seems very likely that the 2021, um, sorry, 2020-2021 NHL season is also going to be in a bubble too. So do you think there's, there's a likelihood he retires or he backs out again? Like, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I, again, a no faulting if he decides not to come in. I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to, to walk away. But uh, I, I don't think it's a bad move. I don't think it would be a bad move for him to, to retire. Uh, I mean, because I mean, some media members and fans were absolutely atrocious. Uh, let's be straight. I mean, like, oh, I think nobody here on uh, faulted him at all. And I, I think any reasonable person wouldn't have faulted him in, in light of what's happening in the world. But uh, as you know, uh, the world is filled with all kinds of people. And some of those people are awful. <laughs> and some of those people are Bruins fans. <laughs> so, uh, and then some of those Bruins fans are really, really awful people who don't, don't even respect somebody who has a family emergency and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, in your guys' view, do you think Rask uh, shows up on the ice next year? I guess it's really late. I know it's it's a pure hypothetical here. Um, I think he does. I don't think I, so. Oh, wow. I think he plays, but if he doesn't, I, I mean, that's I think that's the signal for Boston. They need to blow this ship up and just retool. They need to, to pursue like that top goaltender in free agency. They're going to have to overpay. So I think if Rask if Rask decides not to come back, I think that's the the signal to okay, let go Krug, get that cap space, and get that goaltend get that goaltending you need in free agency. Right? Absolutely, I think that works for me. Um, ultimately, it'll we'll see what happens with Boston because they've traded. You know, they still have a lot of young pieces they could trade uh, in case they ever want to bolster that defense. Um, maybe next year, teams looking at cost costs. Costs might have a defenseman available that could, uh, you know, really help them. But ultimately, Boston uh, is really going to have to re... Well, we've kind of wrapped up all most of the topics here on the list. Is there anything else that we have left on the list? Did I miss something here? How? how no. That's wait, how about Dano's comments? We should we get into that? Well, if you really want oh, to attribute okay. the comments to that, I mean, look, Philip Dano claiming that he want he he doesn't want to simply just be a defensive center moving forward. Uh, people kind of took that to mean he doesn't want to play on the third line. I don't think that's what he said at all. And I think that that's people's viewpoint of what an offensive center is. This is 2020, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't have three offensive lines, you're not winning squat. Absolute squat. You look at right now all the teams that are in the top eight. Uh, Anthony Sorelli is the third line center for Tampa Bay being forced to play second line center right now uh, because Damkos is injured. Um, you look at Boston, Charlie Coyle making $5.5 million a year, third line center. Uh, you look at Vancouver, Adam Godette is a very good prospect and probably would be in the top six if it wasn't for Bo Horvat or Elias Pettersson being in front of him. Um, Chandler Stevenson uh, in uh, in Vegas, very good third line center. Uh, in, in Colorado, <laughs> they were switching the line so much last game, I didn't even know what was going on. But sometimes it's JT Confer. And then you can look do the same thing with Dallas. Dallas right now is playing Rupe Heinz on the third line. We all know how good he is. So strength up the middle uh, is a good thing because that means you can drive three, if not four lines. And you, we saw Montreal play 
Montreal was playing serious offensive uh, domination in terms of possession when it was rolling four lines. For me, I I honestly, I I think that this is a no-brainer. It's a no-comment, and it will lead to... How do I say this? It'll lead to an eventual uh, raid down the line if he feels like he's not getting the right usage. But if he can receive the kind of usage he gets in Washington, uh, such as uh, with a player like Lars Eller, Lars Eller plays 17 minutes a game, um, 13 or four, uh, 13, five on five, uh, first wave penalty kill, second wave power play. I feel like that's exactly where Deneau should slot in. Um, and it just really depends on what he values himself at uh, and what his contractual demands would be. But, I mean, that's something that Bergevin would have to address tomorrow. So, ultimately, when free agency opens up and it is time to being able to negotiate with players, that's when you ask them, okay, what are you looking at financially? And then you can make an internal decision. All right, so we've covered pretty much the gamut here in a pretty short record here. Uh, if you want to have extra content, people, I will tell you, go again to scrimmageandstats.com and check out that mock draft. It is phenomenal work over there. And don't feel free. You can also go review the previous episodes and see how right or wrong we were. That's also available to you to look at as well. Uh, I'm going to ta- throw it over to you guys. Anything last thing before we tag up for the show? Oh, I think... Uh, I'm good. I, uh, honestly, just looking forward to seeing now that... I think you're going to start seeing more and more trades, more and more salary-moving trades. Um, I'm kind of a little surprised that teams like Ottawa and Detroit haven't gotten in on this. Uh, and it's more like middling teams or teams that are competing, like a Toronto, like a like a Pittsburgh, like a St. Louis, like a Montreal, uh, that are the ones that are being aggressive. So it'll be interesting. Um, I certainly don't think Montreal is done. Uh, I fully expect a, per- a player like Max Domi to be traded. I don't think he should be traded. It's not my cup of tea. But if he's adamant about playing center, I think everybody in the world can see the writing on the wall. Uh, And if you can get yourself a solid top six winger uh, that can put pucks in nets, um, then I think trading Domi is probably the best bet. All right, last words, Adam. I have to agree with Marco. I think uh, we're just getting started with trades. And yeah, look out for more to come. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it all here and in this action pack episode of the Hockey Flow. Uh, it's Wednesday, September the 2nd, 2020. Hope you're doing okay and wearing a mask and social distancing and all that good stuff. I want to remind everyone you can follow uh, Marco and Adam on Twitter. So you can follow Marco at the Hockey Expert and Adam can be found at Really Adam B. I'm Major Cardell. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>